Good afternoon. It's Monday, the 3rd of May, 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish. We're delighted to be joined by David Scott, bringing us northern exposure from very much north of the border. Uh, and uh, we'll have David straight on now, uh, because, of course, this is World Press Freedom Day. So happy World Press Freedom Day to everybody, except for anybody in the alternative media, because, of course, we have no freedom to say what we want at all, uh, because if we do, we get kicked off uh, the various channels. But let's, uh, David, start off with the Mail Online here. BBC Chief's warning over growing assault on truth as he calls for solidarity with journalists facing intimidation and harassment across the globe. Are journalists uh, receiving intimidation and harassment? I don't think so. Well, according to the BBC, who we, who we know are never wrong, uh, and Tim Davy, the Director General, he said uh, very strongly here that in the midst of the COVID pandemic, it is clearer than ever why people need access to trusted and impartial media. So that's good. Quote, trusted information is an essential public good. But many journalists around the world, including those from the BBC, are facing intimidation, harassment and hostility. Hostility, I wonder why. Now, that phrase there, it's a, a public good. He said, um, yeah, an essential public good. Where did he get that from? Well, he got that from the UN. He was fed that line by the UN. Here we have the United Nations World Press Freedom Day. Information as a public good is their theme for 2021. So here we see the BBC, in the moment they're calling for press freedom, illustrating that they're in fact using only scripted lines from globalist organisations. I'm going to challenge you on this and suggest that perhaps the direction of travel is the other way, that the BBC is in fact telling the United Nations what the narrative might be. If that's true, Mike, that's even more troubling. Uh, yes, indeed. But we have a little bit of video here to, uh, to tell us. Uh, just, just introduce this for us. Well, this I was I was very concerned about this hostility that the BBC are reporting. Journalists facing hostility, it's very worrying. And I thought I'd go looking for some, and I found this on the internet. And this illustrates the sort of hostility that the people like the BBC are facing, and it's it's troubling indeed. If you play the clip, I have no political agenda, sir. I really don't. What about all the that I know does either? We're purely objective journalists. Uh, yeah, you are. What truly, about truly, sir? From the bottom of my heart. Okay, I, I know. Have a political dog in any. Okay, what life. about all the what about all the compilation videos where they show thousands of newscasts in every city all reporting and saying the exact same thing? I, I, nobody tells me what to say, sir. But what are there's compilation videos on YouTube and Twitter? Twitter. They got millions and millions of views where every reporter in every city at every station. They say the exact same thing, word for word. How do you explain that? I, 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 I don't know what you're referring to, so I can't really Of course you that. don't. Of course you don't. Yeah. Okay. I, I know. Okay. All right. All right. Have a good one. You too. Thank you so much for your time. It was Thank you. With you. It was great talking to you. Have a good one. Put your mask on. Watch out. The virus is going to get you. Oh, why do you got to wear You didn't have your mask on the whole time, and now you're putting your mask on. Here's the guy, he's been standing here the whole time without his mask. Here's his camera dude with no mask on. But here he is, now he's still trying to scare everyone. Now he's going to put his mask on while he reports. Keep spreading that fear, buddy. 
Keep spreading that fear. Why didn't you have your mask on before? Now he's not talking to me. Why didn't you have your mask on the last 10 minutes? Huh? They're asking us to wear it per guidelines for television. To oh, oh, so you're told what to do. Exactly. You just told me you weren't told what to do. You just told me you could do whatever you want. I said I was told not. I wasn't told what to say. Oh, oh, you're just told what to wear. We're trying to follow and set a good example. Oh, okay. Set a good example. Is that what it is? Okay. Sir, I, I appreciate it. Can you please, can you please let me do my job now? I like filming phonies. What's your name again? David Phony? Kaplan. <laughs> yeah, go somewhere else. Uh, that's shocking intimidation there, David. <laughs> Keep spreading your fear, buddy. Do you think he wakes up shouting that in the middle of the night? That was so accurate. This is a, this is the sort of problem the BBC must be facing. This sort of hostility. People are finding out the truth. They're not appreciating the lies. And they're calling out the BBC and other mainstream media for the lies they're spreading. And the mainstream media don't like it. So we're going to talk about trusted news sources and the terrible intimidation that they're facing. Where the, the real intimidation is, of course, from organisations like YouTube who are closing down independent media left, right and centre. And about this, the BBC and indeed the United Nations are entirely silent. Entirely silent. Um, what, what's the BBC frightened about? Truth is what the BBC is frightened about. So let's remind viewers that just a few days ago, we were emailing um, Tim Davey himself. We were asking him why he wasn't reporting about those hundreds of thousands of people in London. So that was clearly biased reporting uh, from the BBC, biased reporting by omission, of course. Deafening silence. We followed up with another email to Tim Davey asking him why he wasn't telling the public about vaccine adverse effects. We gave him all the links through to the various parts of that. He did reply, but of course, what did he do? He gave us a fob-off reply saying that he couldn't reply, but his team would. Well, of course, his team didn't. And now um, we've come in with the headline we have this morning because here he is as he appeared in the uh, Daily Mail uh, warning over the growing assault on truth. So the grinning idiot in front of BBC Scotland um, this man is, well, is he a buffoon or is he very dangerous? He's both probably. This was the detail. The um, journalist faced intimidation, harassment and, ho and hostility in the midst of the COVID pandemic. It's clearer than ever why people need access to trusted impartial news. What a duplicitous man, Mike. I don't quite know how you discuss how you describe it. So there's the bit about the journalists facing intimidation, harassment and hostility. He means they're being challenged. Uh, growing assault on truth represents a profound threat to the health of societies and democracies worldwide. We stand in solidarity with journalists and other media organisations who continue to fight for truth and media freedom. So just lies and more lies. Um, from this man about what his organisation is really about. But of course, the mail showed the truth because under the article were these replies from the public, just stop funding that vile organisation. Why doesn't the BBC employ conservatives? Why are their jobs only advertised in The Guardian? Um, it goes on to say, where was your unbiased report on the London Freedom Marches? And the comments went on, no one wants or even trusts, trusts the evil biased 
pensioner threatening BBC, scrap the TV tax, uh, freedom from the BBC, BBC impartial, no. And this one I liked a lot, BBC truth, question mark, just doesn't sound right. So clearly the uh, public are on the case with the BBC, but uh, Tim Davey needs to be gone as fast as possible. Um, okay, let's uh, move on to uh, vaccination news. And the latest news is uh, really fantastic because schools are going to be, uh, in fact, there's lots of enthusiasm for uh, vaccinating school children, uh, 12 years old and over uh, from September this year. Uh, this has had widespread coverage in the mainstream news this morning because of, uh, apparently it's highlighted in documents written by the NHS or drawn up for the NHS, which are being called uh, the core planning scenario. Um, and uh, But the NHS still saying that any decision to roll out vaccine to children of that age uh, would depend on advice from the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation. Now, uh, Dominic Raab was doing the rounds of the Sunday morning uh, uh, political programmes yesterday, uh, and uh, he was asked about this, and he said that uh, he, everybody's right. They're looking at contingencies to make the easing up of restrictions better, uh, returning to normal. Uh, it can be done in a safe and secure way, uh, and that requires uh, vaccinating children. Uh, any opposition from the unions? Absolutely not. Quite the opposite. Here's Jeff Barton from the Association of School and College Leaders saying that if ministers say the vaccine will be administered in schools, if a trained professional will administer it, and if it's just one jab, that's something school leaders would support, despite the fact that uh, children, of course, are not at any risk. Uh, and uh, there's not really any evidence, is there, of, of children uh, spreading it to adults? But anyway, that's OK. That doesn't matter. Um, so uh, that's that. What's next? Let's look at spike proteins. Now, of course, this is what the uh, vaccines are supposed to provide us all is a spike protein, which the immune system reacts to. Let's just have a look at a little bit of... Uh, of uh, scientific research here. This is a paper called SARS-CoV-2 spike protein in pairs, uh, endothelial function via downregulation of ACE2. Now this is a, a new paper, a newish paper, uh, and it's talking about uh, the surface, uh, the inner lining of arteries, veins, and capillaries, and the fact that it damages that inner lining uh, and therefore uh, causes adverse reactions. So what do they say? Uh, we show here that S protein alone can damage vascular endothelial and sorry, endothelial uh, cells in vitro and in vivo, and this is the uh, the inner lining of arteries, veins, and capillaries. People may have a view on whether that's dangerous or not. Uh, but then we move on to this one, another example from a few months ago: uh, SARS-CoV-2 spike protein elicits cell signaling in human host cells. Implications for possible consequences of COVID-19 vaccines, and this is published in December, as I say. It's important to be aware that the spike protein produced by the new COVID-19 vaccines may also affect the host cells. Uh, we should monitor the long-term consequences of these vaccines carefully, especially when they're administered to otherwise healthy individuals. Uh, further investigations on the effects of the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein on human cells and appropriate experimental anim animal models are warranted. My point here is that you don't have to look too far to find study after study highlighting the potential risks of the spike protein approach to, to this particular vaccination. Uh, and uh, yesterday we published this article from uh, Dr. Mike Williams, uh, Clotting and COVID Vaccine Science, and he highlights a whole range more uh, scientific evidence showing that uh, the effects, and, and in this case he's focusing on clotting, he may follow up with further articles on other adverse reaction, reaction types, 
but in this case, he is showing that uh, the, the clotting issue was well understood in the scientific literature uh, for a number of years, actually, uh, with respect to spike proteins. And I'm just going to suggest to people that they read that article um, and uh, distribute it uh, as they see fit. Yeah, important thing to do. It's why, why we're putting the information there. So please share it and as widely as you can. And the same with video clips. Um, but David, you know, it's very important that we don't ever do our own research when it comes to science. Oh, no, no, that would be bad. Forbes magazine assures us that would be very bad. You must not do your own research when it comes to science. Research both sides and make up your own mind. Simple, straightforward, common sense advice, right? And when it comes to issues like vaccination, climate cha change, and uh, SARS-CoV-2, interesting uh, little uh, list they've given there, it can be dangerous, destructive, and even deadly. The techniques that most of us use to navigate most of our decisions in life, gathering information, evaluating it based on what we know, and choosing a course of action can lead to spectacular failures when it comes to a scientific matter. So be afraid, don't think, take it on faith. You just got to believe, brother. That's trust, the message you've got to trust, David. Got to trust, you got to believe, you can't question it. Um, and it, they go on and explain why this is. Um, the reason is simple, most of us, even those who are scientists, right, lack the, rel the relevant scientific expertise needed to adequately evaluate that research on their own. They continue, unless we start valuing the actual expertise that legitimate experts have spent a lifetime developing, doing our own research, sorry, doing our own research could lead to immeasurable and unnecessary suffering immeasurable and unnecessary suffering. What does that remind you of? It reminds me of Neil Ferguson, who has caused immeasurable and unnecessary suffering numerous times with his spectacular and inaccurate um, predictions of the future that turn out to be wrong, but he's an expert. We're meant to listen to him. Forbes magazine says we must listen to the experts, even if we're scientists, even if we've got good general scientific knowledge we're not allowed to question the experts. This shows one of the main problems with science. It's now so subdivided um, and operating in little cells of knowledge that it's become completely incoherent, and that's very dangerous. And also, it's become a religion. This uh, remind, reminds me nothing so much as uh, of the, the um, um, Middle Ages uh, Roman Catholic Church speaking, um, reading from the Bible in Latin, uh, to the laity who could not speak Latin and saying, well, you have to trust us, we'll interpret it for you. Um, this is exactly the same thing, and it shows now not only has science become a religion, scientism, but it needs a reformation, and it needs it very quickly. Uh, and, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, climate change uh, earlier, uh, so that's a pretty appropriate headline then. Well, yes, climate change is an example. And of course, once uh, the, the current windiness over COVID-19 has passed, climate change is going to be the, the area of attack where we're going to have our liberty removed. And it's just worth um, pa passing comment. The UK weather, the frostiest April for 60 years, that's in England and Wales. In Scotland, it was the frostiest ap April since records began. This is, of course, caused by global warming. Uh, of course it is. Now, uh, let's uh, move on to perhaps a tricky topic. Um, here is the website of the All-Parliamentary Group for Choice at the End of Life. Um, and, uh, well, why are we mentioning this? Well, of course, uh, they are all about uh, 
deciding whether you want to commit suicide at the end of your life um, with assisted by your doctor or other parties. Um, and uh, well, uh, Matt Hancock has decided to get involved in this discussion. So he was speaking to them last week. Uh, he said, uh, I have asked Sir Ian Diamond, he's uh, you know, the chief statistician, uh, to consider what should be published in terms of statistics that can inform the debate in this country. This is the debate about assisted suicide. Uh, and he was speaking to the all-party parliamentary group. Uh, so I've written to the ONS. It is rightly a task for the ONS. I think it's important that public debate is informed by the best statistics. Uh, people's views of this do change. The argument that we must protect those who are vulnerable from being coerced or feeling that they ought to go down this route, uh, that is an important and valid argument, but it's one of the many we need to consider. Uh, this that that sorry that is a well-informed public de debate is a th the thing to do now. Um, what fascinates well, there's a couple of things that fascinate me about this. First of all, um, you are entitled to decide to to end your life um, at, through assisted suicide, but you're not entitled uh, if there is a risk, uh, any risk, um, through making a choice over vaccinations. That would uh, that's not an appropriate choice to make, but a choice about ending your life. Uh, when you're a certain age, seems to be one that the government is quite happy to pursue. But the one thing that really fascinates me about this is how this has become a global issue all of a sudden. I mean, obviously it's been doing, it's been bubbling under the surface for quite a number of years, but all of a sudden we're starting to see legislation being talked about, and that's what this is about, because Hancock is talking about bringing legislation forward. But it's not just in the UK. Uh, France Parliament debates bill to legalise assistant dying. Uh, New Mexico, so the United States, state to adopt medically assisted suicide. Spain's parliament uh, legalizes uh, euthanasia and assisted suicide. New Zealand euthanasia, assisted dying to be legal for terminally ill people. Uh, German lawmakers propose new laws on assisted suicide. Uh, clear majority in favor of permitting assisted dying, according to the Irish Times. Uh, and uh, in parts of Australia as well, the House, this is Tasmania's House Assembly, passes voluntary assisted dying bill. Uh, and uh, so, David, it is fairly incredible that this has suddenly become a global issue. It reminds me a lot of the rapid response mechanism of having a global narrative over various things. And the next thing we know, we start seeing headlines the same in every country. We start seeing legislation appearing, the same types of legislation in every country. Uh, this seems like a fairly dangerous direction to be going in. Dangerous indeed, all those assets in the hands of old people. There's lots of people looking at them with greedy eyes. Uh, and we know that some of them are in the medical profession and we know that some of them are in uh, politics and uh, local government. And some of them are in the law. And of course, um, these people are going to be listened to. And uh, according to Matt Hancock, the concern that people may be coerced, well, that concern can be expressed but it doesn't seem to be likely to carry the day because, well, other other issues must come in. I wonder what those are. Could it be the uh, cost of healthcare, perhaps? Uh, it could well be. Um, let's just have a little look at this. An eagle-eyed UK column viewer said, did we remember all the way back to 2013, the 14th of March to be precise, when the BBC was running quite big headlines on the fact that it said that NHS staff gagging clauses um, are banned. So this was a very interesting uh, little page that I had a look at. I couldn't help but notice the top right-hand corner on the screen. Um, let's blow that one up. It said, whistleblowers should speak out. 
so that's pretty interesting. We decided to go and have a little look at that because that seemed appropriate. Uh, but uh, oh dear, if you tried to click on this particular video, it didn't want to work. Now, I can't say that is due to the BBC, but I find it fascinating that a video, a video which really undermines the whole of the BBC stance at the moment, where they're not reporting people who are speaking out, doesn't seem to want to play. Perhaps you might. Well, I'm just, I'm just thinking, mic. isn't it a bit of a coincidence that the videos which got us kicked off uh, YouTube um, were ones where whistleblowers were speaking out? Yeah, yeah. So may maybe the BBC is being gagged by the BBC, or maybe it's the AI at the BBC that's gagging its own reports. So uh, what else did the BBC have to say back in 2013? Well, they had this, this one here, which was the then Health Minister Lord Howe. Uh, he said this, NHS staff must be able to speak out, uh, sorry, that should say to protect patients, apologies for that, NHS staff must be able to speak out to protect uh, patients. Uh, we've got to add for that, but the BBC, of course, will not be helping them do that because uh, we've got a £5 billion organisation that simply does not want to report what professionals say. David, just to, without going too far down the rabbit hole, it's just occurred to me that the BBC might not want to uh, publicise NHS whistleblowers because they could be talking from a trained scientific, medically scientific standpoint, and therefore they, they would be taking people in a dangerous direction because they weren't approved scientific professionals. Well, they actually know something about the subject they're talking about, and they... Uh, you and I are speaking to a great many nurses, and I was I was talking to nurses at the Edinburgh pro protest at the weekend. Um, whistleblowers should speak out, say the BBC. It's uh, missing a line. Uh, the the, the follow-up line is if they never want to work again. Um, <laughs> yes. The, the, the whistleblowers we are to, talking to have either been forced out of the profession or are living in fear of being forced out of the profession. Right. And what are they having to do? Well, it's no good them paying the BBC licence fee. They've got to get onto a mobile phone and they've got to make their own little video clip. So let's just play this. It is it is video only. I will give a little bit of a narrative for uh, viewers who are just listening in. Uh, but let's have a look at this clip. It should come up and play. So this is Uniforms Unite. And essentially, it's people inside the NHS, NHS posting their thoughts. There are thousands of health and social care professionals in the UK who do not consent to mandatory vaccines, testing, vaccine passports and other restrictive practices. We are the healthcare professionals challenging the government's narrative. A nurse saying she trained to fight for the voiceless. Now I stand as a nurse who can't speak out a banner for informed consent because they know this is not happening. Evidence-based practice should mean just that, another placard. I make decisions based on knowledge, not fear. Fear is the real virus. I am a nurse who loves her job, but I'm frightened to speak out. I am a nurse um, anti-discrimination coercion. No long-term safety data means we cannot claim safety. Um, on it goes. The mainstream media is not reliable. What are social workers doing? What happened to anti-oppressive practice? I'm a nurse scared to, to speak out. Nursing ethics is on screen. Informed consent, choice, not forced medical ethics. 
I'm a nurse, I'm frightened to speak out. Coercion is not consent. And that was the key message there. So this is where we've come to that healthcare professionals cannot trust the BBC because the BBC won't allow them to speak out. So they're forced to record the truth on a mobile phone. Um, we should uh, mention it just briefly was on screen there that they are meeting in London on the 12th of May. Yeah, thank uh, So uh, we'll, we'll put a, a proper graphic for that on Wednesday, maybe. Thanks for that. Yeah, okay. Now, if you uh, like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community and there are options to, to join us there and you'd be very welcome. Uh, and of course, do share our material uh, as you find it on the various platforms while they're still there for us. Okay, well, I'm going to say tomorrow, uh, an important day. It's not a, a normal UK column news, but we have an exclusive which will go out at one o'clock. Uh, we now have an NHS board level whistleblower who's talking about the government telling the NHS what to do, talking about a massive increase in propaganda, patients not being fully informed of the vaccine risks, uh, using the word genocide, we, the NHS, are causing genocide, it needs to stop. And the final warning there coming for our children. So now we can see that the concern is right the way across the NHS. It's not just care assistants and nurses. We know it includes doctors and indeed board members of the NHS. So what else can we give you? Well, we've got other people speaking to the column. We've got a retired civil servant saying they were working at a coroner's office for over 12 months. Um, they were seeing strange things, for example, COVID on death certificates when there was no testing, claims of false negatives, but no acknowledgement of false, of false positives. And now with the vaccine, no link to death, even through CVT, thrombosis and pulmonary embolism uh, being the cause within 28 days of taking the jab. And uh, then they're talking about tests uh, only happening at particular times. So this is extremely interesting because we've had other information coming from people working with the coroners, and now it appears they are prepared to speak out as well. Uh, we've got this one that came in, which is uh, from somebody working with the Department of Work and Pensions. Uh, they said they attended the protests in London on the 24th of April, and uh, they noticed that it was not reported. Uh, but basically, they're saying that historically, we've always had a backlog of work relating to people who died of between 52,000 and 100,000. However, last year, in the height of the scandemic, we managed to clear our backlog because not as many people were dying. Strange that, isn't it, considering what the mainstream news were telling us. Of course, she, uh, sheep or friends I mentioned this to were quick to say, well, obviously, those dying from COVID aren't on benefits, which makes COVID-19 a very clever yet discriminatory virus, if you ask me. So we've got trained professionals saying something is not right. Sorry, I'll just move on to the next one. We've also got people talking about the wearing of masks in schools, the people who've watched the or listened to the uh, the mother talking about uh, what's what the dangers are of mask wearing and lockdown in schools and also the psychotherapist. Um, so somebody here emailing us in saying, listening to your conversation with the mum that's standing up to the schools. And I started thinking about whether Eton College or Windsor 
I've just ticked two examples of expensive public schools had a similar policy. Now, we don't know the answer, but if you can find out for us, we'd be very interesting. Do the public schools, the paid fee-paying schools, have the same policies as the state schools? We don't know. Please find out for us. This was a good headline from the Mail, 30th of April, Schoolgirl 12 is suing school for requiring pupils to wear face masks, which she says risks causing children serious harm. That's what the professionals are telling the UK column. And a big thank you to the viewer who saw this one uh, from the uh, International Journal on Environmental Research and Public Health. Is a mask that covers the mouth and nose free from undesirable side effects in everyday use and free of potential hazards? It's a very detailed um, scientific article, which is probably why um, Forbes magazine wouldn't want you to read it. Uh, this was a very interesting and simple little figure here showing the amount of dead space in a mask, stale air, which is constantly in contact with your face, but also it's talking about the resistance to breathing, a greater breathing resistance of plus 128%, which can really stress some people. But if we go into the conclusions, it's saying to doctors, uh, you've got to get back to the 1948 Geneva Declaration, uh, where every doctor vows to put the health and dignity of the patient first, and even, even so, even under threat, not to use his medical knowledge to violate human rights and civil liberties. So that was a pretty uh, direct conclusion. Uh, this is, these are excerpts from the conclusion, so read the article yourself. Uh, but this paragraph here said, for scientists, the prospect of continued mask use in everyday life suggests area for further research. In our view, further research is particularly desirable in the uh, fetal, fetal and embryonic and pediatric fields as children are a vulnerable group and would face the longest and thus most profound uh, consequences of a potential risky mask use. So particular focus back on gynecology there and children unborn uh, babies. And lastly here, it's talking about um, mass-related changes in respiratory physiology can have an adverse effect on the wearer's blood gases subclinically. So again, this is coming back to big risks for children. Another email we've had into the column from Australia. So thank you very much to the viewers uh, there in Australia. And they're talking about seeing what they describe as this weird common purpose style propaganda now pushing all matters to do with the uh, uh, to the vaccines and uh, and coronavirus. And in this email was a link through to this roll up for Western Australia. And uh, this contained a little video which we should have just to play you so that you can see that what's happening in the UK, we have a sort of mirror image of the propaganda in Western Australia. We've all worked together to keep WA one of the safest places in the world. Now, to protect us even further, there's one more thing we need to do. We need to get vaccinated. Because the more people that do, the more we're protecting our families, our friends and our communities. When it's your turn to get the COVID-19 vaccination, roll up your sleeve for WA. To find out more, search Roll Up for WA. Authorised by the State Government, Perth. And of course, the key thing we'd like to point out is absolutely no comment about adverse side effects at all. However, those side effects are happening. 
And for our Australian viewers, we want to say to you, if you're not aware of it, you can go to this site, uh, which is part of the Department of Health in Australia. And there you will see that there is a mechanism for reporting medicine or vaccine side effects, adverse effects. And we'd like to encourage our Australian viewers to get researching and to see what the real data is that's been logged by the government, Australian government to date. And we'll just end on this one. So we had a big thanks here for all our hard and persevering work. We hardly ever miss an update, um, but they have a reservation. It's just the occasional and very understandable lapse into sarcasm. Unfortunately, we might have had a little bit of that in the news today already. I'm going to say very nicely, we take your point, but we're, we're only human and we have to stay sane. And sometimes we have to be sarcastic in order to keep our heads together. Uh, now, David, um, on Saturday, was it uh, you were in Edinburgh giving a speech? Yes, on, yes I was. Saturday, <clears throat> there was a, a whole series of speakers um, uh, gathering outside the Holyrood Parliament um, on some um, uh, a, a series of ridges. Uh, the, 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 all the flat ground outside Holyrood has, has been fenced off ready for the press corps to report on the, the elections. So we were pushed around to the side on a, a series of uh, um, uh, landscaped ridges. So standing on this un, uneven ground, which seemed appropriate uh, in the circumstances, uh, there was a very uh, good-natured, very informative series of talks, uh, a lovely warm crowd, and uh, I think everyone had an, an uplifting experience. Now, uh, this next video, this next uh, uh, still here, uh, this is Steve Pollard, huge thanks to him. He was the organiser, he made it all happen. And he's from the Scottish People's Forum and uh, people who have followed uh, UK column videos lately will have seen him also appear on one of our videos as a guest. And um, one of the speakers was um, UK column contributor, uh, Dr. Bruce Scott. Uh, so he was talking about the anti-COVID-19 lockdown restrictions and the normalisation of psychological abuse in the UK and uh, Scottish government uh, and the tactics being similar to the totalitarian regimes of the old Eastern Europe. And uh, I'll just point out that uh, we've got a, a new article from uh, Dr Scott on the UK column website now entitled We Are All Pavlov's Dogs Now. An excellent article and uh, very important reading. Uh, there were nurses there. Here are three nurses. This is Lisa, uh, who, who UK column viewers will, will know from the, the interview she did. Kirsty, um, um, who, uh, who, who viewers might also know because we featured one of her uh, videos uh, from Facebook when she first uh, left the profession on the UK Column News, and Mandy, who we've done an interview with, and that's coming up soon. They were excellent, very passionate speakers. Um, and uh, we also had, and again, known to the UK Column uh, viewers, we also had Nene Scott, the, uh, the, the shopkeeper from the Royal Mile in Edinburgh, who was standing up to Police Scotland intimidation in fine form. Well, she gave a very fiery speech. I wonder if all the shopkeepers in the Royal Mile uh, have uh, have got what it takes to do that. So she was, she was, she was getting the crowd very fired up. Um, and we had uh, a pastor, 
uh, Arthur O'Malley, uh, a, a pastor from a, a church in Eldersley near Glasgow, um, and uh, he was he was given uh, a, also a very fiery, very very emotional, enthusiastic, and passionate speech. And I think we've got a little clip of a piece of that. And I stood in Grassmark, and I stood and I seen that monument, and I seen those names that died for our nation, who gave their lives. They were taken down there in chains. They were hanged. They lost their heads. Their hands were hung up in the spikes of Edinburgh. And they says, this will happen to anybody who would dare challenge our authority. And I want to tell you, they says about roughly 18,000 men, women and children gave their lives for the freedom of the word of God to be preached. But Scotland has moved on. We have forgot our history. We forgot our God. Our churches are closed, not because of our government, because the people of Scotland have forgot about their God. Yes. But God has not forgot about Scotland, because we are a covenant nation. So that, uh, that speech is avail available in full uh, on uh, Northern Exposure, soon to be on the UK column. Uh, Brian, did you get a chance to um, see the whole thing? I've seen the large part of it and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Your backdrop of the leaves was magnificent and the day, of course, was beautiful, which helped. Uh, but it was good to see such a large crowd there and people really starting to think uh, about what they are fighting. Um, so, yeah, your speech, I think, was very uh, poignant, pertinent and poignant. Now, the... the, the... The, the next, the, one of the other speakers here is from an organisation called Inform Scotland. I would, I would encourage people to seek out their work. Um, this is uh, Christine Padgham and uh, Inform Scotland are a group of individuals, a lot of experts, a lot of scientists. Um, they're concerned about the misinformation over COVID and they're putting out accurate information and accurate statistics. And that, as we all know, is it completely transforms the nature of the debate because all of a sudden you're talking about rationality and not fear. Um, from their website today, from their Twitter account today, here's one example of the sort of information they're putting out. Deaths with COVID before and after the start of vaccination in the larger economies of the Northern Hemisphere. And you see the, t the trend is for the COVID situation to worsen after the vaccination. This is an important data point and she makes a point very powerfully, and that speech will be coming up on Northern Exposure as well. Now, as well as all the information, there was a great deal of affection. It was a very warm and jolly uh, meeting of about 2,000 people. Um, and uh, this, this next photograph gives you uh, a sort of idea of the nature of, of the atmosphere in the place. It was lovely. This, this lady here was uh, a pleasure to meet and uh, uh, there, there were there were many others. The next, the next, the the t-shirt she's wearing. I think this lady's wearing the same thing. I got a photograph uh, up up close. The the t-shirt says, "I will shake hands. I will hug. I will kiss. I will not be muzzled. I will not be isolated. I will not be vaccinated." And uh, amen to that. And we have a group there. There were several of the, the new political parties were represented. Uh, the Scottish Libertarians were there and uh, the uh, Freedom Alliance were there. So this is Freedom Alliance. Uh, uh, regular viewers uh, will, will recognise Caroline Dobson, who is the, the, the little lady in the middle. She's the leader of the Freedom Alliance Party. 
uh, and this is uh, their candidates and their battle bus. So um, they were uh, in great form. And uh, also, Brian, you were, your video there of all the nurses uh, with messages but having to hide their faces for fear of being sacked for speaking out. Well, here's a further nurse. Uh, she's still employed by the NHS and uh, she's got messages written on her umbrella, but she had to hide behind that umbrella because if they found out what she looked like, her job would also be in even greater danger than it already is. Um, as Brian was saying, I, I, I gave a, a short address at the end of this, which is premiering tonight at eight o'clock. So I hope people will uh, tune in and comment on that when it goes out live. Um, and that was the day. It was an excellent day. Uh, everyone was mightily uplifted. And it was, it was a, such a pleasure to see people just interacting, being normal, making new friends and um, having a, a, a good time in the sun without any oppressive policing. The police uh, were excellent. They, they stayed on the perimeter. They didn't give anyone any hassle. Uh, a big improvement on a few weeks ago. So well done to Police Scotland for that. And the, the event was first class. Yeah, and I'll just um, cut in there. Already our, our viewers have reacted to, to those scenes and saying, isn't it wonderful to see people who look essentially happy? Mm. So, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. so that was a report. No, no, we have to do this one. We have to do this one, right? John Waters, David. No, that's, uh, that's one I've put in. Oh, is it? Yes, oh, indeed. Oh, yes. So I just wanted, to do, just wanted to say we've been talking about Scotland, so I thought it... I'd pick up on this one, but a really excellent article by John Waters. Uh, he's talking about frontline truth-telling on vaccines and research by Health Freedom Island, suggesting a connection between the recent surge in mortality in nursing homes and the vaccination rollout. Uh, but no doubt that's a scientific report, so we shouldn't take any notice of it. Uh, indeed. Sorry. Uh, David, right, now let's come back to Ireland now. Uh, and uh, another church invaded. Well, this, this, is, this is a report from about a week ago um, with uh, the, the Garda closing down a religious service in a Roman Catholic church, quite sparsely occupied as well. It wasn't even packed. It, the, and the, the Garda came in and shooed the people out and were vaguely threatening and uh, somewhat unpleasant. But it was all captured on video. And um, the chap who captured on video uh, was uh, called Pat Sweeney. And uh, the video went viral, and um, obviously the Garda came in for some criticism. Well, that unfortunately wasn't the end of the matter. Okay, so we're going to have a look at his report first. So let's have a look at this. Uh, how's it going, everybody? Something uh, very disturbing is is actually ongoing in, in Tullamore uh, this evening. I just got a, a message from um, Pat um the chap who, who filmed the church in Athlone last week that went viral um, when the guards called in, um, he has um, told me that his children have been taken away from him. He got a, um, raided by the Gardaí last night at 3am. He woke up to find three Gardaí at the bottom of his bed and told him that they had received a complaint, which sounds very spurious to me. but. Um, they literally have removed his children from him. His children now are under the care of uh, Tuzla, and he is now in Tullamore Garda Station trying to get his children back. Uh, so 
this is a very very sinister development this is seems that things have gone to a new level now and this man um, only one week ago has filmed the Gardaí in a church um, ending a, a, a church service and this video went viral and a week later his children have been uh, removed and apparently allegedly that the complainant has claimed that it was his mother that made the complaint and his mother is deceased since 1997 so guys i will urge he's down in tullamore garda station now if anyone is, is nearby would like to go down and show him some support down there he said pat said pat sweeney he said he would be very grateful thank you guys well that's what he had to say david what happened next well i went looking for some more information the the, the garda press office wouldn't comment uh, but we did find um, published on uh, on social media the footage of the raid um, recorded by Pat Sweeney. Excuse me. Walk into me, man. I'm dead. Explain to you why we're doing what we're doing. You have you have became more vocal since you've had access to your mobile phone. I know you're recording me, and I've no problem with that because I'm satisfied what we have done is lawful. This is crazy. Patrick, now. Just stand here now. How many here? One, two, three, four. Patrick, either you come back in here with us. Huh? Right? Come back in here. Right. Now. Okay. Now, Patrick, you'll be coming with us unless you cross us fully. Okay? You understand that? Okay. Now, we're going to go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have you a pair okay. of shoes? We're going you to get you. We're going to get some medical assistance for yourself. Okay. I want to get medical you. assistance. Yes, yeah, Excuse absolutely. me. We want to get you medical. Excuse me. Medical assistance yes. for what? As I said, we from the investigations we have done tonight, we have concerns for your well-being also. What investigations are they? I will talk to you in more detail yeah. about them. We're going to go to Longford. Am I under? Yes. You are you being are detained from the Mental Treatment Act. Yes, under Section Twelve of the Mental Treatment Act for assessment. Of yes. the what? Yes. Section Twelve of the Mental Treatment Act, two thousand and one. Have you Patrick, have you shoes? Huh? Have you shoes? Have you shoes there? Can you put shoes on you. Okay. I, I Where are my children? Children. Your children, as I said, we've invoked section twelve of the Child Care Act, nineteen ninety one as amended. Their children will be going into care. Okay. This is unreal. This is disgraceful. And there you have it. Um, you speak out, you publicize what the police are doing to close down in this case, the freedom to worship, and unfortunate things start to happen at 3 a.m. when it's dark and no one can see and no one can help you. It's very worrying. As I say, we tried to get comment from the Garda. We, we didn't get any comment. If anyone has more information in this story, um, we'd, it's only just broken, but we would like to know more. Um, we're very concerned by this um, series of events, and it looks like the use of malicious allegations. It looks like the use of uh, mental health legislation and it looks like the use of attacks on people's children to silence them. We've seen this before. We saw it in the Holly Gregg case. We've seen these tactics used before. We know the state can do this. And um, yes, this family are obviously needing support and uh, hopefully we can uh, find out a little bit more and uh, perhaps get some some uh, messages of support heading their way.
Yeah, David, just, just to come in, because seeing footage like that can be extremely frightening to people. Uh, we've shown clips of babies being ripped out of their mother's arms by uh, the police and so, uh, social services in this country. This is what the state is capable of. Um, don't sit there at home feeling frightened about this. The key bit is that you do something about it. That's sending out those emails, picking up the phone, um, pinning your MP down in an appropriate way in order to make sure they know what the risks are of what's happening. But it's exposure and it's staying together as groups of people because ultimately the police and indeed social services, when they act in this way, uh, are very brave when they are in a group of people. They're not so brave when they're faced by groups of people. And that's exactly what the Hyde Park debacle from a few days ago demonstrated. So don't be frightened about it. Be motivated and do something because it's the action that conquers the fear. Right. Now, let's uh, move on to this. A lot of people sent this through over the last couple of days. It's a contract on the Contracts Finder, uh, UK Government Contracts Finder website. It's entitled COVID-19 Media Buying Services. Um, and it was published on the 30th of April 2021 as an already uh, awarded opportunity, apparently. Um, so what's it for? Uh, well, it's £320 million worth, potentially, uh, of uh, media uh, and advertising and so on. Uh, but when you look at the actual documentation and you look for the uh, the, the brief for the client, uh, well, that's redacted. So we don't get to know exactly what it is that's been bought here for £320 million. Um, but uh, there you go. Uh, now, it does say in the contract that the £320 million is the maximum spend, uh, so they could spend bet anything between zero and £320 million. I just wanted to put £320 million as a third of a billion pounds. Yes. We are talking vast, vast amounts, amounts of, money, of money, and the public can't even know why the government has spent this, but it's not on defence. It's not on intelligence services or security. This is on stuff. propaganda. Propaganda. Just to be clear, that's what it's being spent on. So who's it being spent with? Well, it's being spent with this organization, OMD Group Limited. Uh, and so, as we usually do, we wanted to know who's behind this uh, company. Uh, and, uh, well, first place we went to the company's house and we had a look at the persons of significant control. Uh, and we noticed that uh, one active person with significant control for OMD Group Limited, that's Omnicom Media Group UK Limited. So we decided to go and have a look at them. Uh, so here they are. Uh, and they also have one person with significant control. That's Omnicom Media Group Europe Limited. Um, so now we've got two companies. Um, and so then we discover that they are in turn owned by Omnicom EMEA Holdings Limited. Okay, so that's now a third company. Uh, and they are in turn owned by Omnicom EMEA Investments Limited. So now we've got a fourth company. You can see where this is going. They are in turn owned by Omnicom Regional Investments Limited, uh, who are themselves also owned by one person with significant control, Omnicom Group Inc. So we finally get to the end of the chain with a huge US communications company. This is them. It's all about talent, collaboration, and creativity. Omnicom's global leadership in marketing communications is fostered by the industry's most innovative, collaborative, and diverse talent together. Our people deliver big, creative, competitive ideas based on actionable, 
customer insights. With a picture of children, okay, they're mature children, but they're children with space invaders on the board behind them. Yes, so 320 million pounds of taxpayers' money going into this nest of what? I mean, David, I asked you this earlier and uh, I'm not sure that we have an answer to it, but what 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 is the what is the reason for this convoluted company structure? Um, and uh, it seems to be, it must be something to do with tax. Well, it's concealment, isn't it? It's, they're either concealing ownership and control or they're concealing uh, financial dealings and presumably uh, avoiding tax in one country and, and, and moving it to uh, lower tax uh, regimes. Um, it's very strange that uh, the British state should select that company. I was quite disappointed when you got to the end of the chain there. It wasn't a Russian, because it would be quite good if more Russians were, were responsible given the uh, company structure was uh, based on Matruska dolls. But, uh, but no, it's, uh, it's America. And there we have it. And I think we, we should be encouraging our audience to send in a freedom of information request or a few thousand in order to find out where 320 million pounds has gone. We can't fix the roads, but we can put out a contract with no specification for a third of a billion. Well, this is a very good idea, Brian, because it does actually explicitly specify in the contract that uh, uh, the company is responsible for providing evidence for freedom of information requests because the uh, cabinet office, who, who are spending this money, of course, I did mention, should have mentioned that, it is from the cabinet office, uh, they are subject to freedom of information. Yeah, so, so perhaps our audience would help us out on that. We, we have quite a bit to do ourselves. But uh, on top of that, big thank you to an eagle-eyed viewer who said, are we aware of this? And that is that the government is paying for social media influencers. This is Bournemouth University. We haven't got into the depths of this program yet. But when you think you're on a social uh, media website and you're just talking to another member of the public, no, 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 you're actually dealing with somebody who's being paid to sit at a desk and push the, the government line principally on all matters to do with coronavirus, COVID-19 and vaccines uh, because they are one of the covert social media influencers. And uh, this is going right the way through the civil service. We can see it here going into education with the universities. And we know it is being uh, used alongside the NHS. More on that in due course. And behind that, we've got the UK government supplied political psychology. We've warned about the 2010 Mindspace document uh, ever since it came out. Thank you again to another UK column supporter and viewer who said, were we aware that Mindspace had gone east and we weren't? Well, the answer is that Mindspace doctrine of how to get your political agenda through uh, across by using applied, um, uh, applied psychology, um, that was all via the Mindspace document, but that has now become the East document, East standing for easy, attractive, social and timely. Uh, but this is applied psychology, huge amounts of government money behind it in order to get us to do as the government wants, whether we know this is being done to us or not. And I just had to bring this one up from New Era, a really excellent article. Uh, the headline is Fear and Government Ends the Campaign of Fear. Millions now have mental health problems. 
and an organization called Recovery is saying, we've got to stop this because we are damaging so many people. In the last year, the government spent 184 million on advertising, and you're now talking about another third of a billion, which has fueled unprecedented levels of fear. According to the mental health charity Mind, the country's in the middle of a mental health pandemic, BBC silent. But what this uh, journalist is pointing out is that the huge um, global media companies which are hoovering up all of this government money don't want the gravy train to stop. So they're blocking other people from taking up media facilities, billboards, etc., to warn what's happening. So let's uh, have a listen to this little video clip and see what this gentleman has to say about what's going on. The kick is towards the end of the video. Is this, this is a celebrity one, is that right? Uh, no, this is, uh, this is um, adverse oh, sorry. reactions, it should be. We should have it down as reactions. Uh, right. Sorry about that. That's this one. We've got a lot of material. To so the government is not only spending fortunes to put out its own message. It will not allow that message to be challenged. And that, to my mind, is deeply worrying. John Dobinson, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Uh, tell me a little bit more about uh, about recovery. Uh, where did it come from? Uh, what was the reason it was created? Hi, yes, thanks for having me. The recovery uh, was launched in at the end of October last year. Um, and the thinking was really that we'd been through the spring lockdown. We seemed to be easing. We seemed to be returning to our senses. And then suddenly the ratchet started to tighten again. We were seeing the restrictions coming back in and it had stopped making sense as a narrative to me at that point. I'd always felt that what we were doing was an overreaction, that the cure was likely to be worse than the disease. But as long as we were returning to sanity, I could see why the government had done what it had done. When we started to reimpose restrictions and a government survey in the summer had said that potentially 200,000 people could lose their lives, not because of COVID, but because of the, of the restrictions and the lockdowns, it really stopped making sense. And I thought somebody has got to stand up and do something about this. I had a lot of experience, uh, both in human rights, because I used to be Secretary General of the International Society for Human Rights, and also in communications, because for 30 years I've been in communications, and I've done a lot of work in government. I have a lot of friends who have expertise in areas like mental health, like medicine, lots of friends in business. And as a coalition, we felt we could come together and provide a force to make the case for recovery that no one else was doing. And that's what we wanted to do. And of course, it is very much about media, isn't it? Because the government has become probably the biggest advertiser, otherwise known as peddler of propaganda uh in the united kingdom and of course that does have the effect of squeezing out um smaller advertisers including presumably recovery yeah i mean it's absolutely astonishing the amounts that the government has spent so i think only a week or two ago they gave the advertising spend for last year by the government and it was 184 million pounds which makes the government the largest advertiser in the uk last year and that advertising has been overwhelmingly on heightening the level of our fear. Uh, that's a very, very dangerous thing to do. Fear is a very dangerous tool for governments to use to control behavior. 
And that is what the government has really, without apology, set out to do. Um, on top of that 184 million, of course, there's an enormous amount that we see all around us that's unpaid for publicity. So everywhere we go, in a supermarket, in a railway station, wherever it might be, there are huge posters, all with the same message. Um, and 184 million is the tip of the iceberg. And then on top of that, of course, the government is pumping out messages every day and using the same sort of frightening language, frightening imagery. When you take it all together, it's probably, and collectively look at what's happening around the world as well, it's probably the biggest campaign of fear the world has ever seen. That's quite a statement. Well, that's quite a statement. And he's coming in on, on, on the immense danger being done to people's um, mental health. And as you are hearing from the UK column, whistleblowers coming out of the NHS, NHS staff talking about their own colleagues that are now having uh, time off work with stress and anxiety and breakdowns and even being unable to function inside the NHS. This is the result of a deliberate calculated attack by the British government. Let's look at how the government spends these uh, hundreds of millions of pounds on propaganda. Let's have a look at a, a British government propaganda video via the NHS. Vaccination audition, take one. Sir Dr. Lenworth George Henry, CBE. Lenworth? It's just a casting, Lenny will do. Lenny Henry? People in the black, Asian, ethnic and minority community are 20% less likely to take up the vaccine. A bit more serious on this next line for me, Lenny. Shall I do Trevor McDonald? Why not? I might like it. The vaccine does not contain the live virus and is definitely working. I didn't like it. Next. It doesn't contain pork or any material of animal origin. It's not the theatre, Lydia. Think TV for me. It's gone through the same strict testing as all vaccines. Ooh, let's go online. There's no evidence that it affects fertility. Hashtag vaccine, hashtag I love it. Hashtag. The more people in society that get vaccinated, the more chance there is of eradicating the national COVID pandemic. Very nice, cut there. Can we make it more David Walliams, please? It's really important that people of all ages get the jab! It's a no from me, I'm afraid, David. Oh. Any uh, vaccination acting experience? Um, I did have my BCG at school. That's a no, then. Uh, and action. As me or David Williams? Uh, no one wants to see David Williams again. OK. There is no scientific evidence to say that the vaccine is any less effective in people from ethnic and minority backgrounds. So let's all try and support our community and take the vaccine. We will just let you know. Thank you. Um, any chance of anyone royal, Claire? Ah, oh, OK. Better than nothing. And action. So roll up your sleeve. It's not just your own life you'll be saving, it's other people's lives too. Any good? Very good, Your Majesty. My name is Elton John. Look, Elton, you didn't get it the last time, you're not getting it this time. <sighs> I don't normally do auditions, but I think I was good in there. I hope I got the job. 
Uh, David, just, uh, well, it's nearly difficult to describe that for what it was. But of course, the key thing was that all those people making fun of an unbelievably serious subject where people are dying, they're being paralyzed, they're being harmed, uh, they're having heart attacks, strokes, they're being made blind or deaf. None of the facts were put across. It was turned into some perverse theater. And that would have cost many millions of pounds to put together by Imperial College. And who, who was the other organization? Uh, Global yeah. Health or something, yeah. working with the NHS. Obscene is the best word I can come up with. Roll up your sleeve. The same uh, message uh, from Western Australia and from the United States of America. So that's centralized throughout the whole world. Uh, the same testing as other vaccines, they claim. Well, that's just a lie, isn't it? Uh, it, we're at stage three testing now. We don't normally do that. We normally do the testing before we have the mass rollout. Uh, earlier on, we were talking about the potential. You were reading from a scientific paper that was calling for testing to see what the long-term effects of spike proteins would be. But of course, if we vaccinate the whole world, which is the plan, then long-term testing um, and evidence is going to be rather after the fact, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and we're using celebrity to sell this to people because we don't want to be engaging with their intellect. Maybe, maybe the people at the BBC don't think they have any intellect. More on that in a moment. So don't do your own research and look at scientific information. Listen to that. I'm sorry to use this word crap, uh, which is coming through the NHS. That's apparently what we're supposed to believe in 2021. Outstanding. Uh Yes. Now, uh, last week we were talking about this. Uh, this was uh, the European uh, vaccine passport. Uh, and we were making the point in th that uh, Velt decided to uh, use this little graphic to promote that article. Uh, and uh, well, they were showing a vaccination certificate, passport, whatever you want to call it, with green ticks for COVID-19, uh, but not necessarily for COVID-21. Uh, and we were asking, was there a little bit of predictive programming going on here? Well, thank you to one of our uh, uh, Contributors, uh, yes, there's a bit of predictive programming going on. So this is a movie that came out. I think it's on Netflix uh, earlier this year, COVID-21, Lethal Virus. Uh, the climate change has released an ancient rabies virus trapped in, the, in Antarctic ice. A female scientist uh, tries to get to the laboratory to create a cure and save the world, protected by an eccentric uh, and two members of the special forces. Uh, it doesn't end there. More predictive programming uh, from the National Post here. The dawn of COVID-21. As the pandemic gets under control, new mutants pose a host of new concerns. Um, so the uh, COVID-19 is changing and it's changing into COVID-21. This also being sort of expressed in the Atlantic here with COVID-19 is different now. The coronavirus is changing. So is the disease it causes. So uh, the idea of uh, COVID-21 uh, David is very much not only in the sort of fictional press, but also or the fictional er arena, but also the supposedly non-fiction mainstream media. It's different now. Yes, we know. We've been watching the data. It's about 80% less lethal. Right? They're trying to scare people. And they're using, they're using, they, they must know they're lying. They must know this is deception. It's different now. Yeah, it's becoming, it's becoming 
as viruses tend to do, less lethal over time. Yes, okay, well, let's, uh, let's move on to some international stuff now. And uh, China and the McCain Institute, uh, John, named after John McCain, of course, uh, lots of talks uh, going on in this uh, forum, the Sedona Forum, Defending Democracy took place uh, over the last few days. Um, and, uh, well, they're celebrating the life of John McCain, but uh, not just that. They had some uh, star speakers, and here is one of them, uh, Henry Kissinger. And he was uh, warning that uh, for the first time in history, humanity has the capacity to extinguish itself in a finite period of time. We've developed technology beyond what anyone imagined 70 years ago, he said. Uh, he said that it's not just nuclear weapons, but also a high-tech uh, high issue with artificial intelligence, now based on the fact we are now a partner of machines, and machines can make, make their own decisions. Uh, and this is really dangerous because uh, uh, China is leading AI and uh, robotics, uh, and therefore a conflict today with such a high-tech power would be of such colossal input and significance, because if we can't solve that, a kind of cold war will develop between China and the United States. So it's a bit of an inconsistency. He's very much warning about a hot war and then warning about a cold war at the same time. So I'm not entirely clear exactly uh, what the position is there. But it wasn't just Henry Kissinger over the weekend talking about this, uh, because uh, in fact, uh, Britain, or at least a former British diplomat, openly now calling for regime change in China. So uh, the headline here in uh, the Globe and Mail, which is from Canada, regime change in China is not only positive, sorry, possible, it's an imperative. Uh, and this was uh, uh, Roger Garside, who's a former British diplomat, uh, worked in the U uh, UK embassy in Beijing. And he said uh, in this article, China disregards international law in the South China Sea, is committing genocide in Xinjiang, uh, and the aim of world leadership, uh, and has the aim of world leadership in artificial intelligence. Uh, therefore, the U.S. and its allies must make regime change in China the highest goal of their strategy toward that country. Uh, he said this is not a goal in this article uh, that governments can openly declare, but it's one they must actively pursue. So, uh, David, just very briefly, do you think that's a, a wise uh, uh, piece of advice there, a sage piece of advice? So after Iraq, Libya, Syria and Afghanistan, this guy thinks that regime change is such a good idea that we try it with the largest, most populous nation and second biggest economy in the world. Because that'll go well. This is, this is insane. Well, the, these people are insane, psychopathic, sociopaths, and also a death cult, as we are seeing with their, um, their love of all matters to do with people dying and being assisted to die. So a world death cult, um, what does it want? More death and probably poking a stick into China will produce death in considerable quantities. Um, well, David, the BBC's had a, a hit this, on today's programme, but even more now. Uh, what's going on with uh, alt history? Well, I was looking into some odd reports um, to do with the race that were coming out of the BBC. And as I was looking for uh, information, I was struck by a, a strange pattern that I was seeing. So here, alt history, a forgotten regiment, um, historian uh, Olivette uh, Otelli explores the untold story of a black regiment in World War One. Now, there have been many untold reg regiments, untold stories of many regiments in World War One. It was a massive conflict. But this has been couched in terms of 
it's been ignored because of skin colour. Uh, and then they repeated this, only it was more obvious the second time, whitewashing. Um, I look at how many black subjects who fought for, in World War I had their stories whitewashed out of the history books. A kind of nasty racial epithet coming from the, the BBC there. Very odd stuff. And then uh, the Telegraph reports, Britons were black before these Isles were British, says Horrible History. So this is the BBC children's TV show is now taking this to children. Um, and they, the TV show is saying, um, it, to demonstrate that Britain is a black population, quote, quote from the start, the opening sketch will outline African troops manning Hadrian's Wall in the third century AD. Well, it's not the start, but never mind, it's only details. Um, and, uh, and one song will touch on Britain's prehistoric population having dark skin before these isles were British. Uh, reference to the wide, widely debunked and um, mocked um, report of um, the Cheddar Man being black, for which there is no reliable evidence. Um, so again, we're playing this strange race card. Now, as I was looking into this, I came on the following video. This is from a TikTok um, uh, account called This Is Savvy. It's a black lady in America, and most of the intelligent uh, um, narrative on the race issue is coming from the black population in America. This one was particularly good. For those of us who are not black men, imagine watching the news and seeing how people... Imagine being a black man and being told by some white lady with a microphone that you and the criminal on TV are one and the same because you look alike. Imagine being told by society that white people can be all that they can be, but you as a black man, the content of your character is completely irrelevant. You are the color of your skin and that is all you will ever be. Imagine being told you can't figure out how to vote because of the color of your skin. Socioeconomics affects everyone, but apparently you're not as smart as the poorest white person. Lady, I don't want to hate you. I'm a 90s kid. I grew up with you, so I know you're very talented. I understand your heart is in the right place, but you are everything you preach against. You're not helping. You're making things worse. You're causing more division. You're causing more fear. Statistically speaking, I am more likely to be shot and killed by my black elderly neighbor across the street than the cop who patrols my neighborhood. Statistically speaking, homicide by cop is very rare, but people like you find power in fear, so you keep it front page news. You don't have to be a white supremacist. You can be better. Now, this comment on um, there's power in fear, so you keep, you keep certain stories in front page news, this is extremely astute. I was almost balking at the last comment about white supremacy because I've seen this as a slur completely wrongly um, placed at, uh, for example, the, the British population, the indigenous British population, by the, safe, the same left-wing voices this woman's talking about. And then I realised she was absolutely right, that the, the attack is, is a strange thing. They are both simultaneously attacking the white-skinned people, uh, overtly, and in and uh, in an upfront manner, saying you're white, you should be ashamed of your skin colour, and they're attacking the black-skinned people by saying by by showing a, a, a series of assumptions that implies that that uh, black black people are are lower, less able, um, and actually quite savage. The, the the narrative is that whiteness is equated with civilization and blackness with a response based on emotion and and uh, um, and desire and a lack of um, uh, a lack of inhibitions. Uh, so the, the the lady there's quite right that these this approach is 
actually white supremacist. It does view black people as less. And at the same time, it is attacking white people overtly and calling them essentially criminal because of their skin colour. Um, so it's a, it's a complete attack on the whole of humanity, whatever shade you happen to be. It just morphs in its, its style depending on the uh, whatever whatever weapons it can find to hand at the time. That's the nature of critical race theory. It's against us all. And uh, I thought it was worth highlighting the fact that that lady has got it sussed. Yeah, well done. Well done to her. Well, we just end off on some interesting things. And a big thank you to Pete, who sent through an image of a poster which had been put on a window. When did three weeks to flatten the curve turn into a year of fascist controlling dictatorship based on corrupt, inaccurate PCR tests and media hysteria. Somebody's had a go at scribbling it out. Luckily, they haven't succeeded, but a, a pretty astute poster. And he also sent this one through. Don't accept all you hear in the media as truth. Their clever manipulation has your mind hardwired to accept, sorry, to accepting their lies, I think is what it said. I can just make out a little bit of it. So somebody's done some good thinking there and some good work. We're going to say well done, but shocking, absolutely shocking that they've posted a poster somewhere, Mike, don't you think? Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, but uh, even more shocking, David, and we probably should put a, a health warning on what we're about to show. If, if you are of a nervous disposition, they used to say on television and we're saying now, look away now. This was the, the most memorable image from Twitter in the last week. It's Nicola Sturgeon and Joe Biden, creepy Joe. And uh, Nicola Sturgeon was likening herself to the president because after 14 years in power, making the country worse and worse the whole time, she's been telling us what she's going to do in her first 100 days if she's re-elected. She thinks she's president now. Soon she'll think she's queen if we don't vote her out. Was that a post-jab there, David? I wouldn't like to speculate on her actual vaccination status. No. Okay. I, I think we've got to the end there. Yeah, we have. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, well, thank you, as always, to everybody viewing the UK column. It's obvious to us that there has been a big uptake. We're going to thank everybody that's joined, everybody that's subscribed. So we really appreciate that. We know there's a few more of the uh, YouTube viewers who've still not come across to join us and subscribe and we're going to say to those people please do it because we want to expand we don't want to sit here taking this nonsense from the bbc and uh, if you come across and subscribe you can help us so please do that and uh, yes we know that there are many people in many different countries i can't reel them all off it would take too long but effectively, it seems to be most of the nations in the world are now watching the UK column. And we're extremely grateful for that. So thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll be back as usual in 10 minutes with if you're on the UK column live stream with uh, some extra. And otherwise, uh, on what day is this? On uh, Wednesday? Yeah, it's, it's difficult to know. So this was a special bank holiday edition, which we decided we'd do because our viewers deserve it. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye.